Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you that by your tender mercy, you came to us in Jesus to keep your ancient promise, but in ways that were so astounding and that actually scandalized many. So reorient our lives this morning, O God, so that we might join Mary in rejoicing in your unexpected creativity and faithfulness in the way that you keep your promises. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Our scriptures this morning and throughout the season of Advent are filled with references to a promise, an ancient promise that God made to the people of Israel. So that got me thinking this last week, what exactly is a promise? I mean, we all know and use this word, but what does it actually mean? How would you define a promise? Sometimes it's helpful to go to a dictionary for things like this. And I found that a promise means to give something. It's the commitment to give something, to be something, or to do something. For example, uh, this uh, past week, I promised my family that I would uh, be putting up our Christmas lights, our new Christmas lights, out on our porch. And uh, finally, after a week of my promising, my dear family told me yesterday that yesterday afternoon was definitely the time to keep that promise. (laughs) Mennonite theologian Thomas Finger, whom some of you have studied in Sunday school class, says that the whole Bible is God's big promise. Capital B, capital P. God's big promise is not to give you a Mercedes-Benz or a starter castle or mansion out in the suburbs. God's big promise is not to spare me the pain of suffering of this beautiful and broken world, the promise that God gives in Scripture is the kingdom that Jesus comes to usher in. This is God's big promise. God's saving, healing, reconciling, realm of shalom here on earth where we may all live in loving relationship with God and each other. And as I told a class at McCaskey this past week, it's in this realm, in this kingdom realm, where especially the vulnerable in our world, the widow, 
the parentless and the refugee may find welcome and shelter and love. You know, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for these vulnerable people is anawim. Let's say that word together, anawim. And I welcome you all to our community meal tomorrow evening, which I like to think of as Anawim Central. Anawim Central. The Old Testament can be seen as the story of God patiently, oh, so patiently sharing this big promise with the people of Israel and entering into a covenant relationship with them. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And then through the law and the prophets, through the law and the prophets, God guides them to become this kind of community of God's shalom, a community set right with God, set right with one another, set right with all of creation. And along the way, God keeps on hinting that this big promise is not just intended for tiny Israel, but this big promise is intended for all of the people of the earth. In you, God tells Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But century after century after century, the people of Israel turn away from God's big promise and put their trust in false promises instead. They put their trust in the idols and the violence and the greed of the empires around them, all the while oppressing the poor and the vulnerable in their midst. And it all leads to disaster. This is the tragic context for our reading today from Micah. Six centuries before Jesus, King Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian army laid siege to Jerusalem. If you look at verse 1, it says that quite literally. Cutting off all food supplies going into the city. And at night, the king's archers send great waves of flaming arrows into that starving city, setting its buildings aflame. And when the city walls are finally breached, the temple is destroyed, the treasures are plundered and taken away along with the Ark of the Covenant, and thousands of Jews are pressed into slavery and force-marched to faraway Babylon. Friends, this is the context for our reading today, that terrible catastrophe is when God's big promise to the people of Israel is reaffirmed. Verse 2, you, O Bethlehem, 
one of the little clans of Judah, from you, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule Israel, whose origin is from old of ancient days. This ruler will finally bring true security and be one of peace, be one of shalom. So I'm wondering, have you ever asked yourself what it was like to be God's people and to receive that kind of promise? What was that like? And then to wait whole lifetimes and not just wait your whole lifetime but to wait century after century for this to be fulfilled and for the people of God to be stretched and transformed along the way in their waiting, what was that like? Maybe a personal story here would be helpful. Eighteen years ago, when we were in China... Danette and I got together with our team of 30 English teachers for our annual retreat in Hong Kong. And one night we all got together and after the worship service, we shared with our beloved team our decision to return to the States for medical help we hoped to become pregnant. And our friends gathered around us that evening to pray for God's blessing and healing to be upon us. And after the prayers had come to an end and we started to disperse, all of a sudden one of the teachers who had once been a child, a Pentecostal child evangelist, said, wait! And he said, Todd and Danette, the Lord has given me some words for you and I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight unless I share them with you. And then he said, don't be afraid. I will guard and guide you. There are joys ahead. Don't be afraid. I will guide and guard you. There are joys ahead. Well, Danette and I went back to our room that night and we wrote down those words right away. And we pondered what they meant. And we came to believe that God was promising that our prayers to become parents were very soon to be answered. But then, those of you who know our life story, you know that the next couple years actually turned out to be some of the hardest, bleakest years in our lives. And at the end of those two years... All we had was heartbreak 
and a big stack of medical bills. There are joys ahead. Our own waiting got me to thinking, got me to wondering about the waiting of God's people. Did they also have their times when they completely fell into despair? I think they did. Did they ever wonder if the prophets, you know, Micah and Jeremiah and Isaiah, with their words of amazing hope, were they just smoking something? Maybe they were. I confess there were times when I wished our Pentecostal friend had just gone to bed and kept his big mouth shut. And truth be told, I even began to wonder if his words were a curse. Because they filled us with hope. But was it empty? When Danette and I first heard this message about joys ahead, we thought we knew exactly how God was going to keep that promise. With pregnancy, of course, right? But then slowly, year after year, after five years, our prayers began to change. We kept on pestering God. Lord, hear our prayer to be parents. But then we started adding, we're now leaving all the details to you. Because we couldn't figure them out anymore. And one of the amazing details, as it turned out, was that our very first church out of seminary ended up raising all the resources that we needed for us to go to China to become a family with Jasmine. And in Jasmine, God's promise came to full flower in the most unexpected and beautiful way. Let me paraphrase a quote by Tom Finger that's been riveting my attention all week. When God's promises are fulfilled differently than we'd anticipated, we're not wholly confused anymore. Eventually, at least, we learn to rejoice in the unexpected creativity and faithfulness of God the unexpected creativity and faithfulness of God. This now brings us beautifully to our reading from Luke today. You know, by the time that Mary, flush with youth and flush with the little one growing in her womb, rushes to meet her relative Elizabeth, wrinkled, graying, and visibly showing, their people had been waiting for six centuries for God's 
promises to be fulfilled. And during that time, the Persian Empire, the Macedonian Empire, the Roman Empire had all come and gone. Brutally occupied them, extracting taxes from them. And many surely must have been wondering, is God's ancient promise nothing more than a pipe dream? Is that all it is? And woven into Mary and Elizabeth's conversation today is their joyful astonishment that through them, God is about to keep God's promise to their people. Blessed are you, Elizabeth. Or excuse me, blessed are you, Elizabeth, tells Mary, because you believed. You believed what the Lord promised would actually be fulfilled. And I think Wendy Wright here is very, very helpful because what does it mean to believe? She says to believe something, and this echoes very much what we'll be learning in our Sunday school class with Gregory Boyd in his book, The Benefit of the Doubt. To believe something, Wendy Wright says, is not simply to hold an opinion. It's to let that something sink down into the marrow of your bones and to form and reform the structure of your life. Belief, she says, does not exclude doubt. or incredulity, or intellectual curiosity, but it is not exhausted by them. To believe something is to let it transform your life. To believe something is to let it transform your life. And through Mary... God's big promise is about to be born into the world. And for God, this means no more trying to give people commandments and to guide them through prophets. It means no more getting things lost in translation. Jesus, the promised one from Bethlehem, will now in flesh in a human body. As Hebrews, our reading made so very clear, in flesh who God really is, how much God loves us, and in flesh the scope of who God especially cares about. In Jesus, God takes on our human life so that we might participate in the life of God. And all of this is foreshadowed in Mary's astonishing song of praise today. And we can almost hear the violins begin to swell as she exclaims, My soul is filled with joy 
as I sing to God my Savior. And did you notice how God is at the front of every sentence in her song? God will scatter the proud-hearted and destroy the might of princes. God will feed the hungry and send the rich away empty. And then verse 55, God is about to keep the promise. The big ancient promise made to Abraham and Sarah. In a moment here, we're going to be singing the song and these beautiful words, in your love, you have fulfilled your promise to your people. God keeps God's promise, but in ways that just about everybody finds completely unexpected, scandalous, and disruptive. And Jesus comes to invite all of us to participate in this kingdom, this promise that has come. And I wonder if in a world filled with broken promises, might one of the crucial ways that we participate in God's reign be the faithful keeping of our own promises? By God's grace, may we be a community where we help each other to keep our promises of baptism, of discipleship, of singleness, of marriage, of parenthood, of mentoring, and of special care and concern for the widow and the orphan and the refugee. Because you see, when we keep our promises, we reflect to the world our faithful God. The faithful one who makes promises and keeps them forever. Amen.